Welcome to The Word Room. You're with Elizabeth Walton speaking to Australian writers talking about craft and writing. Today I'm joined by Rebecca Burton, winner of the inaugural 2040 Publishing Prize in 2023, which is published by Findlay Lloyd Publications for her novella Ravenous Girls. Rebecca Burton, in 2006, HarperCollins Australia published your first YA novel, Leaving Jetty Road, which was noted for its insightful exploration of friendship and the challenges faced by young adults. It was also selected as a notable book by the Children's Book Council of Australia and a Varuna Award for Manuscript Development. And now in late 2023, your novella, Ravenous Girls, won a 2040 prize, going on to be published by Finlay Lloyd, which I was lucky enough to find yesterday at a bookstore in Maruya when it was right inside the front door. What do you see as the value of writing prizes, either for established or emerging writers? Because you now have this long experience of receiving fantastic recognition for your work. Um, yeah, I think um, I think prizes are, for me, they've been invaluable and I think they can be valuable at different stages of your life. So when I entered the Varuna Award um, for, for manuscript development, obviously I was an unpublished writer, um, and the value of entering a prize was that my manuscript didn't just go to a slush pile. It got read by a judging panel. And I think that those kinds of prizes early in your career are a really good way, if you're lucky enough to win or get shortlisted, to jumpstart a writing career. Uh, it certainly was like that for me for, with the Varuna Award. I, with the, the Varuna Award at the time that I ended, I think it was in its third year of existence. So it was still quite early. Um, and the deal then was that you um, went to Varuna and you got to have five one-on-one -on -one meetings with an editor from HarperCollins um, who sh um, shared the prize um, or a hosting of the prize with Varuna. There was no pro promise, promise of publication, but it was a moment of recognition, you know, that you don't get otherwise. And I, I firmly believe that it was off the back of winning that that I did manage to find an agent um, and then subsequently to get published Later in my life, so with the Finlay Lloyd Publishing Prize, which I entered last year and won, um, I was at a very different stage in my career. So I had two young adult novels published by a mainstream publisher behind me, um, but I was wanting to change the audience or the readership that I was writing for and really to test the waters um, and perhaps definitely find a new readership, perhaps find new publishers. And so for me to enter a manuscript where my manuscript went in and was read without my name on it by a judge or judging panel who didn't know me from a bar of soap meant that I feel like my manuscript was assessed on its own literary value as opposed to whatever preceded me. So, again, the recognition in winning a prize felt invaluable. And with the Finlay Lloyd Prize, part of the... Um, what you win is publication. So for me, it feels like an opening into 
writing and being published in literary fiction that two or three years ago, though I would have dreamt of it, I never thought it was possible. So hugely, hugely valuable, I would say. Wow, that's such an amazing story. Do you, so did you sort of, was this a, 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 script, a manuscript that you were working on or did you write it for the prize? No, it's very much a manuscript that I was working on. So um, when after my second young adult novel um, was published back in 2010, which was Beyond Evie, I went on writing. I didn't ever really stop writing, ever. Um, I worked for a number of years on a manuscript that went through various incarnations, but it was always for readers who weren't adults. So one incarnation was young adult its current incarnation is as a middle grade novel. Um, but I just became more and more conscious that the the readers that I was writing for I no longer had a connection with because I was growing older and I'm not a parent, I don't have young people in my life and I, I felt like I just didn't have that connection, which is really vital. Yeah, um, that makes and sense. Yeah, yeah and, and meanwhile, whereas as a younger woman I had read lots of young adult novels and loved them I was moving in my own reading into reading and loving literary fiction particularly Australian and American literary fiction and I just found myself really wanting to write in that field so I started attempting to do that but you know it was very new to me um, and this the manuscript that I entered in the Finlay Lloyd Prize was part of a work that I originally saw as much bigger much longer but that was made up of a number of novella-length standalone pieces. That was my plan. Um, and I, I just happened to see because, like everybody, I guess, in today's world, I subscribe to lots of newsletters. And this one came up on one of the writing newsletters that I subscribe to, the, the 2040 Publishing Prize. And I thought about it and I just thought, well, I have this manuscript that is the right length. And... I am a huge believer in putting yourself out there if you have something that on the face of it fits the criteria because you just don't know where you'll go. So that's why I submitted it. I didn't really think I would get anywhere. I just thought this is a work of literary fiction. It is between 20,000 and 40,000 words. I want someone to read this. This is a judging panel. I'm going to enter it. So I did. Wow. And and had you actually envisaged that it, envisaged it, that it would be a novella or were you sort of thinking that you were part way towards it being a novel like I was you know really just reflecting that I was told once by a manuscript assessor to forget all about novellas I went with a, a, a project that I said was going to be a novella and I was told straight away forget it that's impo impossible they, they'll never be published um, they don't sell do you think that's true anymore or do you think that reading has gone undergone such dynamic changes that that's just a totally different landscape now? Um, uh, I think there's several questions to answer there. So first up, no, I didn't set out to write a novella. I did set out to write a bigger piece. Um, but when I say that, so I keep referring back to this because this, um, this is like this thing in my life. There were these 10 to 15 years when I was writing and it wasn't just that I wasn't getting published. I wasn't submitting anything to anyone, really. I wasn't showing anyone my work. I just kept writing. 
and kept not believing that it was any good. And I found after a while, that's partly my personality because I doubt myself a lot, Mm. but I found after a while that I, I had a particular length that I would get to. So I would write Ten to 15,000 words and I would be very engaged and feel that I was going somewhere. Then I would get to about the 25,000 or 30,000 word mark and I would be convinced suddenly that what I had written was awful. And it was like the weight of what I was writing. There was just too much of me. It was like 30,000 words is too many words by me and it's awful and I have to start again. And I would literally set it aside start a new draft and begin all over again and then I would get to that 25,000, 30,000 word mark and the thing would happen again. And this went on for like years. After time. That's really just your length. That's just, is a length that really works. Yeah, but it took me that long to figure it out, you know. Um, And I think that's because there is stigma or there is conversation around what can you do with a manuscript of that length. So it didn't even occur to me until I stopped and sat back and, and sat back and went, well, maybe this is the length I need to write at. I didn't think about novellas till then. I just, because I didn't, I suppose I didn't value them because of the same preconceptions that you had, you know, that they're not sellable, that there isn't a market for them. But then moving on to the second bit of what you've said, is that changing? Um, I don't know. I think that the reading world is changing immensely. I think that we can say a lot of cliches and truisms about people's attention spans growing shorter, so maybe novellas can sneak in through the back door in that way. I think that um, some of the publishing formats um, like e-books and Kindle um, are perhaps more suited to shorter books. But I also think um, I also think that Finlay Lloyd Publishing decided to be brave, to stand up for a um, form of fiction that isn't supported very much, put themselves out there and say let's publish some works and yeah, of fiction or non-fiction of that length and let's give these people um, a vehicle. So I think that part of uh, those works of that particular length um a prize like the Finlay Lloyd Prize is going to make that even more make, make the reading public more receptive to it. But, so I think it's kind of a a growing thing. I I really hope that there is more scope for works of this length now that we are moving away from traditional publishers' demands for books of certain lengths, um, uh, print runs of certain lengths, and so on. So. Long live the novella, I say. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because we were talking before about I was in a Canberra bookstore recently and I was looking for short stories and poetry and both of them were in such an obscure place that I could barely find them. Mm. Um, and I noticed that mm. at your bookstores the um, the short stories were actually front and centre but they actually had your book in with the short stories. Um mm-hmm. And also going back to the Canberra bookstore, I noticed that Claire Keegan's book, um, Small Things Like These, in fact, all of her novels were on their own shelf and she makes a big point of saying this is not a short story, this is a novella. What are the differences between short story and novella? Um, I think that a short story is uh, setting aside word length. So I would... um, 
there are no specific categories, but I would call a short story somewhere between, you know, flash fiction, which can be anything from 20 words through to perhaps something as long as 10,000 words. But anything longer than that, we're really starting to talk not a short story to my way of thinking and mm. we're moving towards novella ter- territory. And mm. I think that what you, the difference between what you can do in the two kinds of story is a short story is a moment. It, it really is a moment or a thought. It, it, it has space for one idea, yeah. whereas a novella has um, more space to consider ideas, maybe even the same ideas, but more deeply or from more perspectives without needing to get buried in um, the traditional trajectory of, of um, a longer story. So I, I think there's a lot of really lovely things about the novella that allows the reader to have to be able to sit down and enjoy it in the space of an afternoon if that's the kind of reader they are and not to feel that they have to come back to it another time um, but also it gives them enough weight to have to feel that they have it's worth investing the energy in if that makes sense yeah and as a writer enough space to tease out the ideas and do justice to your subject which you have done there's many oh, thank you <laughs> but there's there's many parts you know when I was reading it I, I'm a sort of a reader and this is probably a little bit unusual and marketing people for books please don't listen to this but I like to read a book <laughs> with no knowledge of what it is I don't like to read the blurb I yeah. don't like to read anything about what it is I just like to open the pages and begin reading when I opened the pages yeah. and began reading your book initially I felt like I was reading memoir and it wasn't if it were, if it hadn't have been for the names of the characters I probably would have continued reading and believing that it was actually a memoir that I was reading. And I'm just interested in that um, that sense that you've created, a, a, a voice that has a sense of authenticity, so much so that it almost does feel autobiographical. And yet there's, you know, if if the names of the narrator had been Rebecca, I might have thought that it really, you know, it was a natural storytelling format, I thought. So what can mm-hmm. you think about the, that sort of distance between Rebecca the writer and Frankie, who's the central protagonist of Ravenous Girls? Um, well, first of all, I'd say um, it isn't an autobiographical novel, although I'm writing about themes that are very close to my heart. Interestingly, yes, um, the narrator is Frankie, but um, the there's a shared theme between this novella Ravenous Girls and my first novel for young adults Leaving Jetty Road in that both of them had a main character who was experiencing and living with anorexia and that's part of my experience as well so while the story although Justine's experience isn't mine I should add but nonetheless the experience of living with anorexia is um, or was um, so while Frankie's voice is very close to me, there is a lot in Frankie that isn't me and there is actually a lot in Justine that equally is me. So I would only ever call it autobiographical in the sense that both siblings have elements of me. And that was very deliberate. Um, I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to do with this story, because I had written about anorexia before with the character Lise 
in my young adult novel was not only to write about it for a different audience, which is an adult audience this time around, but to explore it from the perspective of someone who is close to the person experiencing it, but to see it through that person's eyes rather than the person who has the eating disorder. And so Frankie as the younger sibling who is three years younger at 14 than Justine who's been diagnosed with anorexia at 17, we see Justine's story told through Frankie's eyes and that was a very deliberate choice because I wanted to explore what uh, anorexia looks like from the outside and I also wanted to explore a story about what one person's experience of anorexia has or the impact of their anorexia has not just on themselves but on the people who love them because that's a story we don't tell often enough, I think. So, yeah, yeah. what what I would say though, and I wonder if the reason you felt like this was a bit memoirish was because Frankie's character is very close to mine in the way that she speaks and thinks. So uh, without being too self-deprecating, I'm a fairly shy and awkward and quiet person and I wanted to give voice in fiction to people who live small lives. And my intention with Frankie, which I haven't managed with Ravenous Girls yet but might with subsequent sequels or, or second novellas, is to explore the whole of a woman's life who lives a really quiet life, who is on the margins. And that's Frankie's story. But the story that came to me with Ravenous Girls came to me in her adolescence, which kind of took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting to write that one. That's a very long-winded answer. Apologies. I hope I've sort of addressed it. Oh, it's fascinating. It's really interesting. And I think it's sort of, you know, we were we were sort of almost in a season of quiet stories, the quiet voice. So you know, cold enough for snow and Charlotte Wood's new work, Stoneyard yes. Devotional. The it's almost like the season of quiet voices upon us. Do you have anything yeah. to say about that? Because I think that that's you know, it's really remarkable that you know that's the three of you are remarkably different writers, but you've all so- suddenly sort of come to that point at the same time. I'm very honoured to be named in the same breath with those two writers. Um, (laughs) Do you know what? Jessica Al's book absolutely was a massive inspiration for me, not in the sense that I'm writing about the same thing or in the same voice. Her voice is very different from mine, very erudite. But I just was, I mean, reading that novel or novella changed my life and I think it's, because it, it's almost not a story, and yet that's the point of it. It is a story. It's in the non-storiness of it that it's, it's a story. I hope I'm not saying anything that sounds critical because that's the opposite of what I'm trying to say. It's sort of, um, but I think um, Charlotte Woods, uh, I think Stoneyard Devotional is very much like that too, but it's had massive appeal. So many people are, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, I think... There's a lot of conversation at the moment about sad girl novels and I don't kind of want to get into that whole conversation but I think the quiet voice narrator possibly fits a little into that conversation. I'm thinking too of um, uh, Sarah Bernstein's book that was shortlisted for the Booker 
just now, A Study for Obedience. Have you read that? I haven't, no. Well, that's, um, it, I can really recommend it. That's written um, in a, a different voice again, very quiet, very distanced, very remote. Um, and I, I just don't think books and voices like that were being written 10 years ago. So, yes, I think you're right. Maybe this is a time for quiet voices and yay, hallelujah. <laughs> I have to say, Rebecca, it's totally opposite to the way I write. <laughs> I'm, learning, <laughs> I'm learning totally. Um, I, I find it also interesting that, you know, you, you've, you've done a lot of work establishing yourself as a YA writer and now you're writing for, well, you know, your work has been, described as being that it might be for a YA readership but it might also be for an adult readership and it made me think about Sophie Laguna and I know I remember her saying that the only difference in her work because of course you know she also has written um, for younger audiences as well as adults and that idea that she says that the difference between those two works whether it's pitched at this audience or that audience really is about the depth of experiences and how that material is revealed. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think I find that a very interesting way of putting it and I think there's a lot of truth to it. I think the thing about young adult fiction, and this is what drew me to it back when I first started reading it and then writing it, the poignance of it and the power of it is that you are telling the stories about people who are having their first experiences. So whether it's, it, whether it's first love or first heartbreak or first job or, you know, whatever, it's, always, it's all about firsts. So they're writing, they're at the start of writing their own story. Um, and the intended readership at any rate is the same, people who are living through their own first experiences. So in that sense, that's very different from what you're doing if you are writing for an adult audience um, where you are as an older person, which I certainly am now in my early 50s, and you perceive yourself as writing for people who are your age or certainly older than adolescent, those are people, the writer and the readers, who have lived a certain amount of life and have had a certain amount of experiences and the writer brings that to their writing and the reader brings that to their reading. So in that sense, I think when Sophie says the differences in the depth of experiences and how they're re revealed, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think um, I was really surprised when people said, when the first um, reviews came uh, of Ravenous Girls came out, there were a few people on social media who said that they saw this as a young adult novel or possibly both, and that wasn't how I'd perceived it at all. In my head, I was writing literary fiction for an adult readership. And to begin with, I thought, is that because people know my background? But I don't actually think, I don't even think that's a relevant question. Clearly, I'm interested in writing about adolescent protagonists, and there's a crossover there. Mm. I think for me, the difference certainly in Ravenous Girls, is that this is a story about two teenagers and it's set in, um, it's told at a time when they are teenagers, but Frankie is very clearly narrating it with a distance of years. 
there mm-hmm. are only a few occasions where, you know, certainly later towards the, the last sections of the book, but even earlier on, if you're reading it closely enough, you, you know that the person who is narrating this is not, not Frankie the adolescent, it's Frankie the adult looking back on her adolescence. And that for me is the difference between a work for young adults and a work for adults. Having said which, when I was writing for young adults, I was an adult and I loved young adult fiction and I always staunchly would say to people the fantastic thing about young adult fiction is that it's also something that adults can enjoy. And I would now say the same thing about writing adult fiction. If there are teenagers or adolescents out there reading Ravenous Girls, then I am just deeply honoured. I think it's wonderful to be read by people of all ages. I've been asking everyone to talk to us about um, a recipe um, or a meal. So what would Justine and Frankie bring to a midnight snack? Well, you know what? I think that there's a there's a moment quite early on in the story where um, Justine has just been admitted to hospital. Frankie and her mother are back at home. Frankie's mother says to Frankie, because it's dinner time, she says completely unironically, I'm just not hungry, but I can make you a meal. Um, and Frankie says, no, that's okay. I'll make myself a toasted cheese sandwich later. And I've always thought that's Frankie's comfort food. That's what she eats when we all have our comfort meal. Toasted cheese sandwich for Frankie is it. And I have this picture one day in the future, perhaps Justine's not completely well yet, but one day in the future when they're a little bit older, Frankie will say to Justine, I want to make you a toasted cheese sandwich and maybe they've been watching a film late at night, whatever, they have this moment of closeness after bouncing away from each other as sisters always do. And Justine, who probably doesn't even like the calories in a toasted cheese sandwich yet, feels the love coming from Frankie and says, okay, and she allows it and they sit down, they sit opposite each other at the table. Justine eats Frankie's cheese sandwich, Frankie nurtures Justine and they have this shared moment. That's, yeah. That's what I thought of. <laughs> That's really beautiful. I love it. I'm looking forward to um, having a toasted cheese sandwich around the kitchen table somewhere around midnight with Frankie and Justine and having a reread of your book. Thank you, Rebecca. I really appreciate your chat with us today. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It was such an honour. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.